It's the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy patron bonus episode. In a break from tradition, rather than introduce Josh as someone who he isn't, I thought we'd do a word game. I will say one word, Josh will follow that word up with another word, and we'll try and construct a very quick story and hope that Josh doesn't use the word penis almost immediately when I say the... Make this thing is penis. Yeah, <laughs> <sighs> fine. I've got the penis out of my system. I can carry on. Well, you know, it's been in there for a while, so it had to come out eventually. Welcome to the Patreon bonus episode of the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy, where Josh can only think of one thing, and that thing is papyrus. Yes, we're good at, actually, this is re a really quite fascinating mm. little story, truth it be really told. Is. So, it was originally published over in the Guardian. the Guardian, and it's called A Scandal in Oxford, The Curious Case of the Stolen Gospel. And I would recommend, after listening to this bonus episode, why not go read the story? Because I don't, think, yeah, yeah. I don't think we're going to do it justice. The story really is quite fascinating. Now... The short version of it, Dr. Dirk Opnick, a papyrologist at Oxford University, stands accused of stealing and selling ancient documents to the Green family, who, if you're a long-term listener to the podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy, you might go, aren't they the owners of Hobby Lobby? And didn't they get in trouble a few years ago for illegally importing artifacts from Iraq into the US for a museum they were making devoted to the Bible. Yes, they are. Yep. And also point out, Hobby Lobby are an incredibly conservative Christian organization. Yes. So Christian, well, I mean, the owners of Hobby Lobby at least, and I guess they put their values into their company, but... um. We talked about, I mean, it was, it was uh, I think, more than 100 episodes now, a few years ago. They got into a lot of trouble because they're, they're making this, this Christian museum, essentially, and they've been buying up as many ancient um, artifacts from biblical times, or at least close to biblical times, to put on display. And it was found that some of these artifacts had been smuggled out of Iraq illegally. Um, and indeed... Essentially, um, not not only was this illegal, and they ended up having to pay three million dollars um, because of it, and I assume give the things back. Um, but the people who they were paying to smuggle the, uh, the, the these artifacts out of Iraq um, essentially funneled the money back to ISIS. So you had a conservative Christian company basically funding ISIS. Yes, funding Islamic terrorism, something mm. which the American government at least back then, was not particularly keen on. Mm. So this all apparently got in motion because of one particular papyrus fragment. I mean, uh, Dr. Obink, his, his thing is is studying these papyrus fragments, which, you know, obviously it's they're written in ancient languages, they're tiny scraps and fragments. It's, it's quite painstaking work to actually um, decipher them at times. But supposedly there was a piece of papyrus um, that contained a fragment of the Gospel of Mark and dated to around the first century AD, so was almost actually contemporaneous with biblical times and was supposedly the oldest um, recorded bit of the Bible at all, or certainly of the Gospels, 
uh, known to man. Yes, it's the New Testament. New we Testament. Have, we have yep. scraps of the Old Testament, which are a lot, a lot yep. older. Yep, that would make sense. Um, so obviously this is something Hobby Lobby would be very interested in for their museum. Um, and in the investigation of how this ended up in their hands and all the talks about that and so on, um, it was discovered that more than 120 such papyrus fragments uh, had gone missing. Now, these fragments were part of the Oxyrhynchus collection, which is owned by the Egypt Exploration Society, um, who were formerly the Egypt Exploration something else, slightly dodgier. They're, they're sort of, they're a legitimate organisation, but they've existed from back when people were just looting the shit out of stuff and, and acquiring things through much more dubious means. Actually, so this is a point in time we should probably talk about the Algin marbles. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's they're, they're coming up, aren't they? Yes, so people may be aware that now that the UK is in a transitional state of leaving the EU, they're now going through trade negotiations with the EU to work out the future economic and trade relationship with the European Union. And there's going to be a whole bunch of things which people are going to want. Now, one thing that a member state of the EU wants, Greece, is the Elgin marbles back. Mm. Because the Elgin marbles, which are the marbles from the Parthenon... And not, as, as I did for a while, and as I'm finding quite a few people thought, not actual marbles that you play games of marbles with. They're, they're, they're statues made of marble. Quite cute to think the Elgin marbles are. Mm. These are the marbles that Pythagoras used to use when he was when playing. He was a school lad. Yeah. Yeah. No, anyway. so these are these are freezers basically yep. of lots of exciting Greek myths, and Greece is going. We want those back because you took them during the Turkish occupation of Greece, well over a century and a half ago, and you took them illegitimately. Now. The British Museum, which currently houses and stores and claims to have the moral right... Oh, I don't know what's going on there. Hello? Okay, I'll, uh, we're in the midst of recording, but I'll come and deal with it now. Actually, no, I, I won't pause it. I'll okay. let you I'll let you vamp whilst I deal with a large wetter We're not going to cut this bit out then. No, you should. Okay. You should explain to the, the listeners, because we do have some non-New Zealand listeners, what a wetter is. I will. Very well then. Um, Emma's off to deal with a rather large wetter that the cat has just apparently brought in. Um, if you're not uh, from New Zealand, you may not be aware what a wetter is. It's basically the largest species of cricket in the world, as far as I'm aware. They're, they're kind of cool, actually. I think, like, I'm not, I'm not a fan of spiders and creepy crawlies and all that, but um, I think wetters are actually kind of cool. They're, they're like a sort of industrial strength looking cricket. They're, they're sort of big and horny and spiky and quite armoured. The ones we get around here would have a body that's, I don't know, like the, one, the, the bigger ones might have a body that's sort of an inch or two long. Um, but you can, there is the giant cave wetter, which I believe is like the heaviest insect in the world or something, which these are, the, the, these are powerfully built Insects. Anyway, so so so, so um, Emma's off to apparently to uh, um, evict one of these from the house. So uh, that'll be that'll be an adventure, I'm sure. Um, but while that's going on, I'll just carry on here. So the um, yeah, basically the the EES um, is is a, is in possession of scraps of papyrus and other things, which 
Um, in past times, they might have acquired through through more dodgy means, but apparently these days um, they're, they're a little bit more legit. I don't know if it's sort of like with the Elga Marvels, where they sort of retrospectively decided that no, the stuff we have we've, is legitimate now, and really it isn't. I did see someone the other day saying that it's a bit weird to call them the Elga Marvels in the first place, naming them after the guy who stole them, essentially. That would be like me coming round to your house, stealing all your clothes, and then referring it to, to it as the Josh wardrobe. But anyway, um, and the Oxyrhynchus collection apparently was 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 quite the trove. They um, discovered it was it was only it was only fairly recently. It was this century. Um, they found what was what was basically sort of a, a rubbish dump, essentially an an ancient rubbish dump that had. Um, had, I believe, in the order of millions of tiny scraps of papyrus um, from from all over the place. Um, so it's apparently a really um, significant collection, um, and one that's going to take a very, very, very long time to actually sort through. And so what people like Dr. Robink do is they'll take one of these scraps, or a collection, I suppose, if they can be matched to each other, um, and then spend a lot of time working out exactly what they say, um, and then, at then at that point that they they publish they they will put it out in somewhere a journal here's the scrap um, here's what we think it is here's what it says um, and then that becomes you know that that's part of their academic publication uh, oh, oh you're back is the wetter gone the wet, the wetter is outside was it big it's actually actually quite Quite, quite a big one. Oh, good. Good hand-sized one. Oh, good. Yeah, I, was, I was saying, I, I don't like creepy crawlies and spiders, but I actually think wetters are kind of cool. Yeah, I do maybe too, it's, Maybe it's just sort of parochialism, since they're natives, but, uh, but I, I don't feel that way about native spiders, so I don't know. Anyway, I was just talking about the um, the process by which uh, the, the these these papyruses. The, the, the article says papyri, which I object to. I do too. I think I, it's, we we pluralise in English in this country anyway. Yes, and it's, that, it's, sound, that sounds very. That sounds a little British, bit, yeah. doesn't it? But yeah, it's 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 a thing that some Latin words get an eye on the end, but I don't think papyrus is even a Latin word. Anyway, no, I think it's Greek. I'm pretty sure it's Greek. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at, at any rate, uh, people th these things get published. Uh, oh, another another little um another little side note there is that they're housed at Oxford's Sackler Library. Oh, Sacknell Sackler. Now, I know that name. You do. You certainly uh, something do. like Pudu. Mm. Pooey Sackler? Something like Yes, no, the Sack, this is the actual Sacklers who own Purdue, who produce OxyContin, who are embroiled in all sorts of conspiracy theories these days. Now, this apparently the Sackler Library was gifted to the university by sort of not the current generation of Sacklers, but their father, who I believe is now deceased. Um, and and that, that is a thing. The Sacklers have, you know, do, do donate a lot of money to universities and stuff. And universities now are starting to actually say, no, we don't want your money, thank you, because you're responsible for a massive drug epidemic in the States. But anyway, that's just an interesting little side note. Um, but yeah, so um, the EES did an audit once this, this um, fragment of the Gospel of Mark showed up. And people were like, hang on, doesn't that belong in the Orchirhynchus collection, which is owned by the EES, and the EES has not been selling things to the Greens, so what the hell's going on here? Did this audit, found 120 missing, 
And then the, the, the Guardian article, as we talked about, goes into a lot of detail of exactly how they sort of tracked this down and who was dealing with whom and, 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 and sort of wacky figures. And then supposedly there is documentation involved showing sort of sales agreements between Dr. Obink and the likes of the Greens and so on, um, which, which, which finger him for the crime. Now, he denies everything, doesn't he? He does. He claims that, yes, he had meetings with people about things, and yes, there were sales of other things, but because he also, apart from being a tenured academic, also sells an antiquities exporting business. Wait, no, 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 those are bits I got from elsewhere. The, the Greens are simply mistaken. Maybe I was talking about something from the library and they thought they were buying it, but I was never selling stuff from the library and I don't know what happened to the 120 pieces that went missing even though I'm the last person to have checked them out. Mm. Now, did you talk about the, the sting operation they did? No, I did not. So, this particular fragment of the Gospel of Luke is something that people have been looking forward to for quite some time because it is it appears to be one of the earliest fragments of a New Testament text that we've got and people are quite curious to know how does the text compare to the standard translations we have are there differences what's the context of its discovery and so the EES produces books every year or so which are translations and commentaries and contextualizations of the translation. And they're produced very slowly because the process of translating these fragments is painstaking mm. and very slow. Sometimes you've got mere words or a few sentences. You might be lucky and have several pieces from the same text and you're literally playing a jigsaw game of moving the bits around, trying to work out whether you can get some semblance of meaning from scraps of paper. So it takes quite some time to produce these translations, commentaries and contextualizations. So they basically set Obnik a task, a piece of text that he had taken out which they thought had been sold to the Greens that he had taken out, they assigned him to produce a translation. And they kept on asking him about it, and they kept on waiting for it to come out, and nothing was happening, which they then took to be evidence that indeed that piece had been sold on, because it should be in his custody, and he wasn't doing anything with it, at which point they did the first thing you do, you're an academic, which is cut off someone's access to the library. Mm. Now, uh, Dr. Robink suggests that perhaps he's being framed, that um, these documents uh, that have his name on them are forgeries specifically to, to frame him for the job. Um, but the evidence doesn't look good. I mean, the idea that there's just been some sort of a mix-up doesn't look too realistic when, when you learn that not only did 120-odd papyrus fragments go missing, so did the catalogue card, the catalogue records that referred to them in the first place. So not only were these fragments taken, but also someone tried to remove any evidence that they were there in the first place, which is 
what you probably want to do if you're stealing something from a collection. Mm. Unfortunately, whoever did this doesn't seem to have been aware that the EES did have a backup backup cataloging system. Which was basically on microfiche, I believe. Something like that, yeah. yeah which they were able to, to use and cross-reference and find out what had gone missing. So A, you know, this seems to have been something very deliberate, and B, it certainly seems to have been an inside job. If someone at the very, you may not have known or may not have been able to get at the backup catalogues, but definitely knew enough um, to get rid of the, the, the regular catalogues. Um, so it's all a little bit dodgy. Um, and then we come to the subject of mummy masks. We do. So herein lies an interesting little tale. So mummy masks, the masks that were put on mummified corpses in both ancient Egypt and the kind of Greco-Roman era of Egypt, were made from what we would today call paper mache. So you'd basically get scraps of papyrus, you would put them into a vat with some kind of gluey substance, you would then create cartonage, and then you would sculpt a mask out, out of that, paint the mask, and then put it on the corpse, put it in the ground. Which means you're taking papyrus, you're rendering it into a kind of paper mache like stuff, and then putting it into the dry, dry ground. Now, cartonage was also used as packing material during the, the Greek and Roman periods in the Mediterranean. So people would be, in the same way that we use foam and polystyrene mm. as a packing material, the ancients used cartonage to do it. Now, it turns out the process of making cartonage is not destructive. You can basically reverse it. You take cartonage, you put it in water, and then very slowly the, the glue dissolves, and you can just tease apart the scraps of papyrus and get the text back. Now, there is now a trade in papyrus fragments which apparently come from mummy masks because whilst there are rules about the exporting of treasured cultural artifacts, artifacts that have already left Egypt and exist in other people's collections are often exempt from these things. So you can take a historical artifact like a mummy mask, render it down into its individual scraps and hope to find a lost bit of Aristotle. But also there are people who sell things like mummy masks, especially cat mummy masks and the like in Egypt as tourist tat, which are not controlled by the antiquities in Egypt or considered to be antiquities abroad because of how common these things are. And so these papyral fragments are apparently being rendered from these masks, which is actually a very convenient way to hide the provenance of a piece of text. So, oh, I, I didn't take it from a library or steal it. I had this mummy mask over here, which I dissolved in water, and it miraculously had bits of the Gospel of Luke in it, and you can't prove mm. otherwise. Yes, I mean, of course, there is. this is not without controversy. There are a lot of people who strenuously object to the idea of destroying ancient artifacts, even if you're doing it to get at other ancient texts. It's still... You know, it's, it's, uh, there are a lot of people who think that's just not Especially on. Especially since you, you have no guarantee you're going to get mm. anything exciting from it whilst you are actually you're destroying, destroying something yeah, hundreds yeah. or thousands of years old. Yeah. 
not not hundreds of thousands of years. Hundreds, hundreds or thousands of years old. That yes. that makes a lot mm. more sense. Otherwise, we have to have, we have to discuss yes. about 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 history. Yeah. No, no. But you know, but but as people have pointed out, this whole the the, the fact that this is possible uh, makes a, a very convenient way to to launder essentially um, bits of papyrus that may have either been obtained through illegal means. You can say, oh no, it just came from this legally obtained mummy mask, or even um, fake faked for, forged artifacts. Um, you don't have to establish, you know, any sort of provenance when you can just say, "Oh no, I got it out of this mummy mask that I that I um, dissolved," and you can't tell me otherwise. And indeed, there are suggestions that um, that Dr. Robin may have been involved in this in some way. In particular, now, if you've just listened to the main episode, you know we we, we promised you ancient lesbians, and and we deliver the the only ancient lesbian who I'm aware of, of course, is the poet Sappho. Um, and Obink had published fragments of papyrus containing um, uh, text written by Sappho, apparently, or well, actually, I don't know if it was written by her or just of her works. Yes, I, believe, I believe they were transcriptions, transcriptions of the yeah. poems, but missing poems. Mm. Uh, which were supposedly abstracted. Is it cartonage or cartonage? It looks like. In, in academic, I, just, I expect it to be a little bit French. Yeah, well, yes, I mean, given that knows. almost all work on ancient Egypt is actually German originally, mm. and Germans use French as their academic language, it's probably Who knows? At any rate, whatever you call it, um, supposedly these fragments were extracted in this method, but then there were some, there were suggestions that maybe this was not on the level because. Um, uh, Dr. Robbins supplied photographs of of the rendering process and showing these things being extracted, but supposedly there also exist photographs of the fragments on display that are dated from before the photographs of the extraction process, which has led some people to say, "Hang on, this how how can you have photos of them if they hadn't supposedly at that date been extracted?" Is this all just a ruse, and these things are fake or something? And you just, you know, had photographs of completely different fragments being rendered out or what? So there's... because cartonage basically looks like cartonage, yeah, yeah. So it's a very convenient way to mm. launder an artifact and go, no, no, I got it legitimately from this block of cartonage, as opposed to. I probably exported it from a jurisdiction that I'm not allowed to export artifacts from. Mm. So th th there's certainly the suggestion um, that, that even the central figure in this whole scandal might have been up to dodgy dealings of that nature as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a really interesting story. It I is. Think there's, very there's interesting. intrigue and conspiracy and, and ancient history and, and all sorts of stuff and an interesting look at the world of, of ancient document smuggling slash laundering. So yes, uh, so the other option I, I thought for this patron bonus ep episode was going to be the discussion about the mysterious whereabouts of the Salvador Mundi, the Leonardo da Vinci painting, which apparently a UAA print currently owns. But I think we might do that next time round. Mm. Do, do a bit of a, a bit of art history yeah. conspiracizing Dan Brown esque malarkey. Bit of the classics. Yep. Yeah, so there you go. So I mean, um, as we said at the start, uh, go go and have a look. If 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 this sounds interesting to you and you'd like to go more, definitely go to the Guardian and look for a scandal in Oxford: the curious case of the stolen gospel, because they do go into quite a lot of detail about um, 
sort of the, apparently it was quite interesting in that you had um, a lot of the sort of the sort of early detective work being done by these academic societies who normally are quite sort of dry and fusty, but were suddenly, you know, posting breaking news to their blogs about the, the developments in this thing. But it does go into, you know, the, the, the sting operations, the various dodgy people involved, the techniques, you know, the detective work that they've used to uncover this and to, to find out information behind it and so on. Um, all of which goes into a lot more detail than we can cover here and now. Indeed. So there you go. And uh, bonus content for another week. With bonus Wessa excitement mm. malarkey. Yeah, there you go. If, you, if, if, you, if you're not a New Zealander and you don't know what a Wetter looks like, go look up Wetter, W-E-T-A, um, and either shriek in horror or say, oh, that's actually quite a cool looking bug. But make sure you get a size comparison mm. because it's not, a, it's not a small insect. I mean, there are small ones. But, but um, the, the ones that people tend to get concerned about when yes. they enter the house are quite large. sizable, yeah. Hmm. So there we go. Um, I think we're done done for another week. So we'll say goodbye to you. And once again, obviously, thank you. And you are indeed our favourite human beings out of all the human beings currently in existence. And probably most of the ones that used to exist as well. Yes, because actually a lot of people in the past were not, were, were mm. not patrons of this podcast. No, no. And frankly, we do look down upon them. Yeah, especially yeah. your great-great-grandfather. No, they should have I had... really, I really look down upon him for not, for not sponsoring this podcast back in 1756. Mm. No, they should have had the foresight to predict the advent of, of podcasts Imagine. and that their ancestors... Imagine if your great-great-great-grandfather had opened up a bank account and simply put one, mm. one penny a month into that bank account. And then the compound interest on that today would keep us in a life of luxury. Yep. But no, stinking ancestors and their lack of prognostication. I'm just thinking you're going, you're going to have descendants who are going to do what is the future equivalent of a podcast if the world doesn't end in 12 years. Mm. And they're going to be saying exactly the same thing about you. You better be putting a dollar a month into a bank account to support your descendants' equivalent of podcasting in the future. Probably should. So while we go off and readjust our finances, uh, we will bid you a fond farewell. I'm not planning to have any offspring, so I don't, I don't have to wor worry about this at all. Mm. But maybe you could just be a general, general sort of patron, just to, just, just future generations in general can benefit from your largesse. A trust in three hundred years' time chooses the closest equivalent to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy, mm. and then endows them with the compounded interest of the money that we put aside. I like your yeah. thinking. Yeah, clever. Right, well, we go and work on that. Uh, we'll see you all later. Totally pip pip. Yes. <laughs>